Welcome to Your Rights at Work. I'm Chris Garlock. What really moves me as a union organizer and a union labor person, it is working people who are getting hammered. When you look at whose houses are burning, whose houses and lives are getting swept away in floods and, and, and damaged in storms, it is primarily working people. And the rich, you know, the rich figure they can fly out of the city. This has to stop. These banks have to stop lending for the destruction of this planet. Next Tuesday, March 21st, a group of older Americans, along with their intergenerational friends and supporters, will hold a day-long action here in Washington, D.C. to demand that the country's biggest banks stop funding fossil fuels. They're planning a multi-faith prayer circle, a walk of hope, a rally, and a march of action. In addition, small groups of elders in rocking chairs will take up a 24-hour vigil outside downtown offices of the four dirtiest banks. Some of these elders will block the entrances, risking arrest. I talked with David Mott, retired SEIU organizing coordinator, and Josh Williams, former president of the Metro Washington Labor Council, AFL-CIO, about next week's Banking on Our Future Day of Action. Dave, welcome to Your Rights at Work. Oh, thank you. Thanks a lot for having me. It's great to be here. <laughs> Absolutely. And I think Josh is going to be joining us shortly. I understand he's yep. stuck in traffic on the uh, mm-hmm. what, 14th Street Bridge or something like that. I don't know. I, I, if it's the 14th Street Bridge, whoo, <laughs> in <laughs> you, trouble. <laughs> you guys would know a little bit about blocking the 14th Street Bridge. Yeah, that's you? right. That's right. Block <laughs> those bridges, <laughs> except when Josh is on it. That's right. Oh, that's right. That's right. <laughs> Okay, so next week's Banking on Our Future Day of Action is all sure. about demanding that the country's biggest banks stop funding fossil fuels. Can you explain a little bit more about the connection between banks and the environment? Well, let's be clear that these banks, you know, Wells Fargo, Citibank, uh, Bank of America, I forget the fourth one, but those, these banks are what fuel capital in this economy, right? And they are particularly fueling those uh, fossil fuel corporations, you know, uh, uh, natural gas, for example, oil, etc. They are fueling their expansion. They are fueling their expansion to go find more oil, more gas, more coal, right? It, the problem with that is, is that we cannot even afford to burn what these companies have now without leaving this world a piece of toast, right? And they are constantly trying to get more and they have every intention of burning it. So these banks are fueling with their capital, the destruction of our environment, the destruction of our world and is going to leave the next generation, my children, their children, uh, an environment and a world that is not going to be hospitable to human beings. That's what they do. And uh, you just, think they'd stop, but they don't because their interest is profit. It is not people. 
it's interesting. I, I've noticed in the, the notes that I got, there are four targets and, and um, my own bank, Bank of America, um, not surprisingly, one of the targets turns out it actually brings up the rear uh, in the top four, which y'all have dubbed the climate criminals. Mm -hmm. um, I understand that Chase uh, is, is number one, and I see $382 billion since the Paris Climate Accords and, and actually increased its investment in fossil fuels from 20 mm -hmm. to 21 mm -hmm. by $10 billion. So I, I guess my question is, you know, I would have assumed, and I've been wrong before, obviously, but I would have assumed that given all of the focus on, you know, cutting back that folks would be moving to at least sort of plateau if not actually you know uh, wean themselves off of this so it seems like things have been going in the wrong direction yeah they are going in the wrong direction and they're going in the wrong direction not just with the banks but the banks are driving it they're allowing it to happen they're giving permission with their money for corporations to keep doubling down on destruction you know BP, for example, has moved away from solar. You know, they brand themselves as the green. Well, they're not. They are moving away from that because that's not where the money is. They've made that decision, right? So the hell with the world. We're just going to keep pumping oil in the same way with Exxon, right? These, while they do this greenwashing on these advertisements that people see every day on their TV, that is a lie. They are doubling down on what they know they can make money on, what is their industry, and that is oil and fossil fuels at writ large. But the problem is, is that, as I said before, we cannot afford to burn any more. We can't even afford to burn what they already have their hands around. And they want to go out and drill more. We just talked about drilling in the Arctic, right? And Biden's, you know, decision to do this or do that, right? There, um, you know, we don't need to be finding more oil to burn. We don't need these banks to be investing and allowing these companies and using this money to, to propel them to find more and burn more. This has to stop. These banks have to stop lending for the destruction of this planet. And that's what they're doing. So when you say we can't afford for them to burn what they have, I'm not sure I understand what you mean. You're saying that they already have uh, reserves or, or investments, yeah. or how does that work? Yeah, they have reserves and investments. Uh, you know, I was recently in 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 a in in, in a meeting where a fellow showed the uh, you know the tar sands, the uh, uh, and a couple of other uh, other the natural gas up in up in Marcellus Shale, and then down in the um, uh, down in Texas the the and and, New Me and Mexico these huge oil fields. Just those three alone. We could not possibly use all of the oil that will come out of that if we expect this planet to be very habitable. And there's a lot more that they have. That does include Saudi Arabia and all of that. The amount of oil that they have in their possession and under their control now is more than enough to kill this planet. And here they are, these banks, funding these guys to go out and find more to burn. It is criminal. It is absolutely criminal. Let me let me ask you, uh, banks. Um, I mean, I'll be honest. They, they, you know, we we you and I have been at a lot of demonstrations over the years, uh, and particularly in D.C. Um, mm -hmm. And and 
it just it, it occurs to me that banks seem sort of impervious. Mm-hmm. I mean, they do have all our money, right? I mean, I mean <laughs> yes, actually, Bank of America, I don't have a lot, but Bank of America has got my money. Yeah. Um, so how do how do I guess my question is how do we how do we get to the to the people that have all the money? Well, I think it, it, it's a couple of things. One is which you know it, it it is bringing attention to what they're doing. Most people don't understand this linkage, right? Uh, and so I think it's important to point that out. You know, these are banks that we saved in 2008. They crashed our economy. They crashed our world in 2008. We saved them, and here they turn around. And they are doubling down. They are continuing to fund an industry which is destructive. And so one, it's pointing that out to people, making sure people do that. Then obviously applying pressure to their brand, right? These are bad actors. These are bad actors who don't care about working people. They don't care about, you know, the environment. They think they can escape it because they're rich enough, right? And three, it is about being visible and putting pressure on them and then making it clear to people who have the power to change this, our legislators, you know, know, folks in the Congress, et cetera, et cetera, political actors, that change is necessary and that we are in motion. We're not going to stop and we're going to hold you and the banks accountable. So that's my theory of this. It is not easy. These banks are impervious. Um, They are, as the saying goes, they're too big to fail. Um, uh, allegedly, um, but nonetheless, they have to be held to account. So the organization is called thirdact.org. Um, uh-huh. what, what does that mean, third act? <laughs> third, 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 third act means folks like me, retired, right? So this is our third act. Uh, we, we, we did scene number one, we've done the scene number two, and we took a bow and now we're back for the third act, right? And so it's, and, and it really is quite good. I mean, a lot of folks who retired, uh, myself and others, we just, and I would say just because we retired doesn't mean we don't care. You know, just because we left our job doesn't mean there's not work to do, right? And so, so this is about drawing on the talents, the energy, uh, the wisdom and judgment of people who have already led a full life, but are looking to make another impact, another statement, you know, and to help the next generation uh, figure out and maybe not make some of the mistakes that we made. Well, and if one of the things I was thinking about, uh, Dave, is, you know, I think a lot of us, you know, we're really impressed with Greta Thunberg and, and, and a lot of these other, you know, young climate change activists and, and, and young people in general. You know, they're out there organizing Starbucks. They're, they're trying to, you know, deal with the gun issue. Um, and I think I, I can't tell you how many folks, you know, uh, particularly, you know, older folks have said, well, you know, hopefully it'll be the young folks who will, who will, you know, take care of this and fix this. And I, I think you just sort of put your finger on one of the things that's bothered me when people say that, because I think that it, it feels like a cop-out in a mm-hmm. way to say, oh, you know, the young folks will fix it. Uh, first of mm-hmm. all, I think people have been saying that for a long time. You know? That's what they said about us. Right. <laughs> you know, <Yeah>. hey. <laughs> and that worked out so well. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but, but I guess, I guess that's, you sort of partially answered that, which, you know, part of the answer to that is 
taking responsibility and that we're not all going to go off to, you know, uh, you know, the retirement communities and live happily ever after, which I'm not sure ever was really was an option. No, Uh, but I'm, I'm thinking that, that this, this is positing that, that we all have a role to play. Yeah, I, I actually, I think you're absolutely right. And, and I do think that, you know, as people sit in front of their TV, they want or read the newspaper every day, whether you're retired or not, but particularly re- retired folks, there is an energy still there, you know, and people don't like what they see. Yes, we have been at it. Many of us have been at it. Other folks have not because they've been working day, day to day, just trying to put food on the table or maybe whatever. Now they have some free time. And now they have some free time to indulge themselves in taking responsibility for what they want to take responsibility for. And I think a lot of folks in our generation are very worried about our children. Let's be clear. And we're more worried even about our grandchildren. You know, because of this, if we don't figure out and bring the political pressure to bear to stop the onslaught of climate change fueled by fossil fuels and funded by these banks, uh, within 50 years, this is not going to be a pleasant place to live, you know, and, and so I think people want to take this responsibility. Most people, most working people are really decent folks. They understand things in a fundamental way, and they don't like it when you mess with their children and their grandchildren. Well, that sets up my next question, which was, I was curious about you know, your own, you're, you're a longtime organizer, mm-hmm. um, you're, you're a labor person. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what, what, what's the resonance of this for you personally? Um, well, I, I, oddly enough, I started out uh, as a reporter way back in the day, uh, the Rutland Herald in Rutland, Vermont, and, um, and uh, led a strike there that didn't go very well. But as a result of that, I wanted to be a union organizer. That was it. I decided that. And I happened to run into 1199 in Springfield, Vermont. And, um, and as I was re- reporting on their organizing a hospital there and I was hired. So I became a union organizer, but I always has been very, very um, in tune to, to the environmental issues, right? And, and not just because it's, it's, a, it's a boutique thing, it's not, but it is working people. This is what really moves me as a union organizer and a union labor person. It is working people who are getting hammered. When you look at whose houses are burning, whose houses and lives are getting swept away in floods and and, and damaged in storms, it is primarily working people. And the rich, you know, the rich figure they can fly out of the city. The rich figure they can go to their home, little citadel somewhere, and the owner of Virgin Atlantic ended up during Maria on his private island in the Caribbean, down in his 30, his 30 um, uh, 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 what do you call it, a bottle wine cellar and wrote it out. You and oh. I don't have wine cellars, right? Oh, I, got, I, got a little, I, got, I got a little, I got a little couple of bottles over there on the shelf. Okay. <laughs> that's not well, gonna really help me, is it? No, not unless you just wanna kill the pain, that's it, <laughs> okay? But that's the point. You know, this is a working class issue. It, you know, workers do not have the ability to get out of the way. We do not have the ability to recover like the rich do. And they count on that, right? And so, so as this, you know, both it is imperative for working people that we s- limit the damage 
you know, and that's stopping drilling, stopping this flagrant use of fossil fuels, right? It is also important because no matter what we do, this is going to get a lot worse, even if we do it all right, right? It's too, it's too late for that, right? So the th next question is, how does the labor movement respond and working class people respond? What are the demands that we want to make about what this new economy is going to look like? So one of the things that really moves me, and it's, it's hard to communicate to people because it is something of a distance off, but no matter what we do now, we have waited too long. It doesn't mean that we, we have to figure out how to stop the damage as much as possible, but the damage will continue because we have already just sort of crossed that Rubicon. The question is, how bad does it get? And we have an obligation as a labor movement to try and get out in front of this, to plant our flag representing workers and figure out what are our demands as the working class and the labor movement about what this new economy is gonna look like, right? And you can bet that if we leave that to the bosses, you know, we're gonna be in serious trouble. Right. Even if we do everything right, you just look at the auto industry. Right. There's going to be huge changes in dislocation there. Right. You're not going to need carburetors with all electric cars. Right. There's a whole pieces of these industries that are going to be shaken up. Obviously, the fossil fuel industry. Right. And we need to make sure that workers, their families, their communities, we have to make sure that this transition to this new economy doesn't just bring them along, but puts them first, puts them first, right? And, and bosses aren't going to do that. So we have to do it. And so that's why this is important for union workers to get out, even if you're just in the crowd, right? Uh, but to begin to plant our flag in this issue, we ought not to leave it to the environmental movement either. They're very good people, but they don't think about us. You know, it's not that they don't like us, uh, they do, but that's not their focus. Our focus is workers, and we need to bring that focus into this fight. Yeah, and, I, and that's something I know there's, there's been various attempts, you know, blue-green and, and, and uh, different, um, you know, attempts to bring the labor movement and the environment together. This seems to me like a sort of a, a, a another angle, which is sort of right. holding in. Uh, yeah. Because the, I think this organization is largely, uh, if not entirely, you know, labor retirees, right? Yeah, the labor affinity group uh, is what we're organizing to bring to this thing. And it won't be just uh, labor folks, but we are really looking to try and pull out as many labor people as we can. You know, during the People's Climate Movement March in 2017, we had over 5,000 labor folks in that march. Mm -hmm. That was really good. Yeah. That was wonderful. And, 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 you know, so I think that is important, uh, you know, bringing the worker perspective to this, you know, if, if, if you're laid off and in the petroleum industry, are you expected to find another job on your own? Good luck, <laughs> right? Just not be foolish. We need a plan. <laughs> we need to make sure that people, their livelihoods, their standards of living are at least taken care of, if not bettered. So we're joined now by Josh Williams, my old boss at the Labor Council. Josh, uh, thanks for being with us. 
Thank you very much for having me, Chris. So, so Josh, uh, you know, you've been retired from from the Metro Council uh, for, for for a bit now, but of course, you know, like like all labor folks, you know, you you've been very active. And in fact, I think you were late because you were at a authority authority uh, board meeting. So it's not it's not like you're uh, you're you know sitting in the retirement home. Uh, and I didn't realize you'd gotten involved with with this group as well. So I, I wanted to ask, you know, what what uh, sort of inspired you? uh to get to get involved well for me it has been a, a, a journey uh i gotta confess that uh years ago uh i saw this kind of as theoretical and it was a progression movement and, and I, I struggled to see whether or not uh, this was a movement and how how did it affect how did it affect workers and how did it affect in particular workers and uh, over the years, uh, I've seen many of my uh, colleagues uh, uh, gotten ill. Uh, I've seen the impact, the, the impact upon, upon workers. And I have come to the conclusion that uh, this, is an, this is a threat. It's a threat to all mankind. And uh, I just had to rise above quote-unquote narrow interest that there was a choice here between between jobs and um, and the environment and i came to the conclusion that that was a false um, choice that uh, the the environment you can't talk about jobs if we're not going to be around as a society <laughs> to enjoy the fruits of our of our job and the impact that this was having up on workers, uh, not just today, but it started decades ago. The mine workers, asbestos, you name it. And it's always been that it's the workers who pay the price for, uh, for corporate greed. Uh, and what we're having in the environment is a product of, uh, of people with narrow interests who just see the almighty dollar mm -hmm. as the issue to be worshipped. And uh, workers be damned. And the health of workers is paramount. Uh, I would like to see a society where my family uh, can um, can enjoy can enjoy our society. And if we don't uh, deal with this, we are going to be as a society. Uh, we'll see that we're going to pay the price. So I'm enthusiastically embracing uh, the cause here that um, this is an existential threat indeed and it's a threat to all of society uh, male female black white you name it but in particular i think it's essential that those of us in the underserved community i.e blacks and people of color come to realize that we are the first ones in the line of fire when it comes to an environmental threat uh, we, you know but it's not about hugging trees chris yeah, it's about the survival <laughs> of mankind. Oh, I'm disappointed. I, I I was really looking forward to get a picture of you hugging a tree, Josh. That was that was I was gonna make my day. Let me just uh let me wrap up with this. I know there's a full day of activities. There's a multi-faith prayer circle, there's the walk of hope, there's a rally, there's a march to action, there's the, the elders in rocking chairs with the 24-hour vigil, uh taking uh hopefully some arrests. Although I always remember Josh. 
you know, when I was working for you and we had the, we actually were on 14th street outside the NLRB. I don't know if you remember this day and you, oh, you, I and, you and Reverend, you blocked 14th street. And, and they, they, uh, they just stood there. It was a hot day and they stood there and they wouldn't arrest us. Remember that? <laughs> yeah, that's correct. We kept, we kept, we kept, uh, literally I was begging them, arrest us. Right? <laughs> Apparently there were some more important things going on and they weren't arresting us that day. So we'll see if they decide to arrest a bunch of uh, seniors in their rocking chairs. But I wanted to, for my final question, uh, I, I think probably this date, uh, 321, uh, it is not a random date. Um, so I, I wondered if, if one of you could could tell me about the significance of the date. It is the first day of spring, the day before. And so springing into action the day after, it really is sort of this affirmation of life. In life, is the recycle is beginning again. And we have a responsibility to try and make sure that this world, that cycle keeps going, the circle of life. And so that is sort of what this thematic is here. And, you know, as opposed to uh, these dirty banks who, as Josh said, have very special interests and that special interest is their own corrupt profits and, uh, and, and, and corp corporate well-being as opposed to the well-being of people. This will be at Franklin Park and uh, in Washington, D.C. There will be starting at 9.30 an interfaith circle uh, religious folks, prayers for the future, so to speak. At 10 o'clock, there'll be a walk of hope that will then return to the park at one at about 11 o'clock. <clears throat> 11.45, we'll have music from Joe Uline and the Uliners. Yay, rah. And <clears throat> the actual rally will start about 11.15. Once the rally ends, about 12.45 or so, 12.30, 12.45, we will begin the march down to the banks. And at each, uh, at two, inter two intersections, two banks each intersection, there'll be some skits, there'll be some action, there'll be rocking chairs and people rocking in them, rocking for justice. Um, and then once, and then that will, as we move to the second uh, two banks, the same sort of thing, thing will occur. So it will be a good time. It'll be a fun time, even as it's a serious topic. Uh, so that that is what the day looks like, Franklin Park, uh, really 9.30 if you want to be involved in the prayer vigil, 10 o'clock if you want to do the, uh, the uh, Walk of Hope, but uh, say 10.30 or so to get there for the music and then for all the, all the other actions. Oh, just go to Third Act. When you register, you get more information, but that is the site to register at. Uh, just a last question, guys. Is this a bring your own rocking chair kind of a thing, or, or you guys got rocking chairs for us? We got rocking chairs <laughs> I have one of my rocking chairs down there. Wonderful. Looking forward to next Tuesday, guys. Thanks so much. We'll see you down there. We'll we'll, we'll make right. a statement. Thanks a lot. Take care. Thank you, Chris. Bye, Thanks Chris. very much. Keep the good work, brother. You Bye -bye. too. Thanks, guys. Bye -bye. Talk to you soon. I'm Rick Smith, and this is Labor History in Two. On this day in labor history, the year was 1999. That was the day that Bruce Springsteen was inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Two years later, an article in Rolling Stone magazine read, For nearly four decades, Bruce Springsteen has been a working class hero. A plain spoken visionary and a sincere romantic whose insights into everyday life, especially in America's small town heartland, have earned comparison to John Steinbeck and Woody Guthrie. At the core of Springsteen's music are the struggles of working people. Often his music connects to past lyricists and novelists and the history of the working class. 
His 1995 album, The Ghost of Tom Joad, opens with a song about the iconic hero from Steinbeck's classic, The Grapes of Wrath. In 2006, Springsteen released an album of covers of the folk music legend Pete Seeger. In perhaps his most well-known song, Born in the USA, Springsteen tells the story of a Vietnam vet struggling to find work. In another song, he hauntingly weaves a tale of the radical conflict that emerged when Vietnamese immigrant fishermen moved into Galveston Bay, Texas. Springsteen's songs chart the history of American work, from labor on the Erie Canal to the mighty steel forges of Youngstown, Ohio. His 2012 album, Wrecking Ball, captured the devastation caused by the Great Recession of 2008. Labor History in Two, brought to you by the Illinois Labor History Society and the Rick Smith Show. For more information, go to laborhistoryin2.com, like us on Facebook, and follow us on the Twitters at Labor History in Two. And that's our show this week. If you'd like to hear it again or you'd like to share it, you'll find the podcast version on your favorite podcast platform. Just search for Your Rights at Work. Today's show was engineered by Kalia Chapman and Michael Nacella. I produced it. Thanks so much for listening, and see you next week. This is a public service announcement with guitar.